<laughs> Welcome to the Castlevania episode of Pixel Tunes Radio. I am Mike Belmont. And I'm Ed, the guy that is not a Belmont. Oh. That always shows up in Castlevania episodes oh, anyway. Oh man, come on. Can I be the guy with the spear? Who's that, Eric Lacard? Yeah, you can be Ed Lacard. Right, can I have a giant spear? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Alright, so anyways, we're kicking off October. <laughs> we're doing uh, extra back-to-back, week-to-week episodes. Yeah, we are. This month. So we're checking out in October with Castlevania. Ooh. So, hot off the heels of our Zelda episode, we're now doing another series spotlight. Castlevania. So, there's so many Castlevania titles. We had a lot of difficulty. This was a hard one. Yeah, narrowing down. So, we've decided, obviously, this is not going to be our only Castlevania show. We're going to have, we're going to call this Castlevania Volume 1 out of how many we decide to do in the One million. We'll probably take that much to get through all the good tracks from Castlevania. So we've decided to narrow it down to home consoles and arcade only, and then Castlevania Series Volume 2, which will come at a predetermined point in the future, which we won't divulge to you guys, will be Castlevania handheld stuff. 20XX. 20XDX. Yeah. <laughs> That's when the robots take over. Yes. According to Capcom. And the vampires. And the vampires. According to Konami. There's robot vampires? Yeah. In 20XDX. Why not? Let's roll with it. All right. Yeah. You know. I'm down. Yeah, well, in Contra Hardcorps, there's like a robot Belmont. Hardcore. Hardcorps. Ah, this again. Ugh. We've been told by numerous people it's hardcore. No S, Psst. no P. Psst. Son of a P. Ugh. Anyways. <laughs> I'm super excited. I love Castlevania. It's probably my favorite series of all time. This time of year especially, I always break out the Castlevania games. I do Castlevania reviews on my show. Dude, you haven't played this game. So you could check that out too if you like this podcast. Listen to Castlevania. Play Castlevania. Watch Castlevania. Love Castlevania. He sleeps with a cardboard cutout of Simon Belmont. I do. Yeah, I kick my girlfriend out. I'm just like, you're out. Sorry. Done. That's it. October. Simon says. That's right. Simon says. (laughs) Boop, 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 boop. So when did you start playing Castlevania? Were you an early adopter, or did I you kind of rent it later on? No, I I remember the day that... I don't remember what day it was, but I remember that I was in... I don't know, like a couple years, I'd say, after Castlevania 2 came out. Like, maybe two or three years after. I went over to this kid Matt's house, and I, I don't even remember this guy's last name. Like, I just remember he was a kid that I went to school with, grammar school, and... It was like third grade or second grade or whatever, and he was like, you gotta check this game out. And I was like, okay. So he boots up Castlevania 2. And I was like, I need to borrow this. Like, I need to play this. I was just totally in love with it. And I didn't really have like a lot of horror experience. I mean, the scariest thing I'd ever watched at that point in time was E.T., which I was like terrified of. And so I wasn't really a big fan of horror back then, because I was like six or seven or whatever. I think I was like seven or eight. And so I played Castlevania 2 and just completely fell in love with it, fell in love with the series. I hadn't played the first one until years later, like years. So that was definitely my first introduction. It's one of the game. it's one of my favorite games in the series. It's fantastic. Yeah, I uh, same as you, I started off with Castlevania 2. But we'll, we'll get into Castlevania 2, I think, a little bit more on the next break. Yeah. Um, starting off, we're doing Castlevania. Obviously, we've got to do the first do the NES first Castlevania game. Mm-hmm. It's where everything kicked off. It's where... Kanuyo Yamashita's 
and Sato Tarashima's melodies, they began there, and those songs have just continued on throughout the series. Vampire Killer and all of those famous Castlevania melodies started here. So we're actually going to play Vampire Killer from the first game. Now the first game, I was kind of surprised that it was a more linear adventure. It was more like a straight-up action game. You know, you move from stage to stage and kill the bad guys. And I, I, was, I was expecting, since I had played Castlevania 2 first, to see a little bit more of that adventure aspect in Castlevania 1, so... And it was not there. And no, you were a sad bear. I wasn't necessarily sad. The game was definitely fun and well put together. Oh, absolutely. And pretty difficult yeah. for at least me as a kid. As the years went on, obviously I've grown to definitely love the entire soundtrack from the first Castlevania game. Yeah, the first Castlevania game, a lot of people think that it was just Kinyo Yamashita that worked on the soundtrack, but... It's kind of come to everyone's understanding that Satoe Tirashima worked on it as well. She worked on a bunch of different stuff, actually. Yeah, she did. She started off on the uh, the original Goonies game on the Famicom. The first one, right? Yep. Because there was one, and then there was two. There wasn't were two there? Goonies. There games, were two, correct? Which is so funny because there weren't two Goonies movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the Goonies two NES game was supposed to be like a sequel to the movie. Yeah. But that's digressing. We can talk about that. But I digress. But anyways, so she has experience composing for Arcade, NES, PC-88, MSX, the Sharp X1. She's got all these different systems that she's composed for under her belt. She did the Vampire Killer game on the MSX, which was another Castlevania game. Russian Attack, both Castlevania and Castlevania 2. Stinger, Life Force, Gradius 2. She's got a whole bunch of really good Konami games under her belt. So she helped out a lot with uh, Yamashita's Castlevania score. Yeah, I think... Kinyo Yamashita did most of the tracks, if I recall. She said she did about 80% of it. Yeah. Satoi kind of did the rest, so. Mm -hmm. Kinyo Yamashita, of course, needs no introduction. I mean, we've talked about her before in the podcast, all Absolutely. the way back in episode one. She's one of my favorite composers. She started off Castle with Castlevania. That was the first one she ever did. Aramanu no Kiseki, which was a Famicom Disk System game, which had really good music. Nemesis 2, Herodias, Power Blade, and Power Blade 2, which were, they had really good soundtracks. Oh yeah. And uh, Ghost Sweeper Mikami, uh, which <laughs> subtitle always still cracks me up. <laughs> Jorishi Ha Nice Body. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Pocky and Rocky 2, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I mean, the list goes on and we've on. Talked about it. I think yeah, we've, we've done talked about this list five times oh, yeah, in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So. She's definitely uber talented. And uh, she was kind of the first person to kind of craft a sound for Castlevania. The first Castlevania game was very different, I'd say, than, or at least it it started the series off in a different direction than you would originally think that, you know, if you play the newer games, like if you play Castlevania 2 and everything, it, it starts off almost like a, a B-movie. It's almost like a take on a B-movie, like a behind-the-scenes kind of thing. Yeah. And that's actually originally how it, how it was supposed to be viewed. In fact, most of the credits at the end of the game are all characters who are... They were kind of takeoffs like, on... Like, takeoffs on the Hammer horror films. Like Yeah, uh, exactly. And and also, you know... James Banana yeah. was Kinyo Yamashita's title. Right, and famous directors and stuff from, yeah. from horror films. And Christopher so, Lee and stuff like that. Yeah, why don't you guys take a listen? We're going to follow up uh, the original Castlevania's Vampire Killer with Bloody Tears from Castlevania II Simon's Quest. Give you a little opportunity to kind of compare and contrast the two games' music together. So, starting off, Vampire Killer from Kanuya Yamashita and Satoe Terashima. 
All right, welcome back. That was Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest. Bloody Tears is the name of that track. It's definitely one of my favorite Castlevania tracks ever. That might be one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah. I, put, I would honestly put that in top five. No, I totally agree with you. It's so energetic. It's it's like sp spooky and kind of evokes the, the images of, you know, bats flying in front of churches at night, but it's also just a straight-up hardcore action NES song. So Bloody Tears was composed by Kenichi Matsubara and Satoe Terashima. Again. As well as Koji Murata. Correct. And they knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah, they did. Killed it. I love this song. Killed it. I could seriously, we should listen to it again. You know what? Pause this break right now, go back, listen to the song, then come back. Oh, that was back. so good. And we're back. So good. You need to change your underwear? I brought a pair with me, actually, mm -hmm. so I'll just go and change. Okay. All right. All right. And I'm back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really can't say enough how much I love that song. The series has always had a Baroque-inspired theme to it ever since the first game. And I, I think the series has really kind of taken that and you're gonna hear the evolution of that sound and you would think that you wouldn't be able to pull that much out of it because if you listen to like box pieces on like, you know, all the stuff that he did with like um, organs, like the Baroque era, it's just, it's all so one, you know, like it's it's just very basic hmm. uh, in, the, in the sense that like you would listen to it and be like, yeah, I've heard that song before. You know, and so when you listen to all the various different Bach pieces, because Bach was primarily the, you know, the main person in, in Baroque. He was kind of like the, I wouldn't say the founding father of it, but it's just... It, it was it's his just, jam. Yeah. And it's just really cool to hear this, because a lot of the, uh, the songs have rock-inspired sounds to it. And we played back in episode, what was it? Four, I think the Sound of Likes episode. Yeah, we played a song from the Mansion. Ingve Malmsteen. Ingve Malmsteen's song sounds a lot like it, and Ingve Malmsteen is heavily inspired by classical music. In fact, he pretty much founded the genre of neoclassical metal. So there's a lot of, if you listen to a lot of newer Castlevania music, a lot of that sounds like Ingve Malmsteen music, right. which is really cool. Yeah, they both kind of borrowed from the same influences. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so this kind of started the Metroidvania thing. Yeah, so like like I was talking about in the previous break, it was really the, the first game in the Castlevania series where you would have to kind of revisit different areas and kind of make your own way towards where you needed to be to progress further in the game after getting certain items. Well, you know, we're not going to spoil too much or tell you guys how to go and do what and go where. And... Spoilers, Dracula comes back from the dead. Yeah, Spoilers. but you know what? This game wasn't that great at telling you where to go. That's the problem. <laughs> I actually, so I replayed it for the latest episode of Dude, You Haven't Played This Game, which you guys could check out. I'll, I'll link to it in the YouTube video if you're watching that. If not, go find it. It's on YouTube. And I reviewed Simon's Quest, of course. The thing about the hints is that they actually really do kind of tell you what it's to so do. It's so veiled, though. It's, it's, you have to read between the lines. You know, I would say no, because there's two different parts. The big one that everybody complains about is uh, the Deborah Cliff thing, or Deborah, or whatever you want to call yeah. it. If you, if you actually, there's two clues in the game that give you a, a hint. One says to basically hit your head on the cliff, which that... Okay, you really got to read between the lines on that one. But then there's another one that says wait for a soul with a red crystal at 
Deborah Cliff. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're waiting there. Okay, so now I have to hit my head against the wall. So it's kind of like you put two and two together and you kind of see it. Like, I, I don't know. I agree with you that a lot of people didn't see it and that it... Well, I was, I was, I was more talking about how, like, the villagers would, like, tell you stuff well, that's completely I mean. out of the ordinary. Yeah. You know, it didn't make any sense. Well, they were under Dracula's curse, actually. So the whole town, like, the whole point of the game is it takes place seven years later after yes. the first game. Yes. Yeah. But they don't tell you that they're under Dracula's curse. Well, all I'm saying is, yeah. in video games, you're used to talking to people and those people being there for a particular purpose to help you get through the game. Mm -hmm. And in this game, they don't help you get through the game. Mm -hmm. They don't tell you that they're not helping you get through the game. So you're taking what they're telling you as an eight-year-old kid who's played very few games where you talk to villagers, you know, you're, you're going to take what they say as, as truth. Oh my god, this person is telling me to go do this, and mm -hmm. it's actually not true. So you, you yeah. throw a lot of red herrings, and you spend a lot of time kind of doing stuff that you think you're supposed to do, and, and it's not true. So The problem is when you're a little kid, you don't read the manual. So what you do is you just... You flip, like if you were like me as a kid, I would buy a game and I would get the manual and be like, flip, flip, flip. Okay, it's a manual. All right, let me play the game. And yeah. then I would figure out how to play as I went through the game. A lot of early Nintendo games actually gave you major hints and information in the actual right. manual. And one of the things that they actually say in the manual, flat out, which you'll see in my review, is in the manual they actually say that some of the townspeople are lying and that you can't always trust everything that they say. So. The frustrating thing is you don't know what's true and what's yeah. not, and, and that's what's frustrating. And when I first played this game, it was a rental. I right. didn't come with oh, a manual. you didn't get the manual. So oh, I didn't have okay. anything to go by. Yeah, I didn't actually either yeah. when I was a kid. I just kind of Nintendo-powered my way through the game. You know, I got the NES Atlas. That was where it was at, my friend. Yeah, yeah, that had a lot of in-depth stuff. That was what's up. So let's move on to... Haunted Castle. Haunted Castle. Yeah, this is a very underappreciated and kind of under-the-radar arcade title mm -hmm. that was based on the Castlevania series. And I think a lot of people kind of skip by it because it doesn't have Castlevania in the name anywhere in the title at all. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of titles that were like that, like Kid Dracula, which we'll get into a little bit later. But the thing about Haunted Castle is uh, it... Try to introduce some story, actually, in the beginning of the game, where you see Simon leaving a church with his freshly anointed bride. I don't know. And uh, Dracula you know, comes in. He's got a lady friend. Yeah, you know. He's got a, he's got a lady buddy. So... The... <laughs> so... <laughs> Let's go play together. <laughs> we just got married. <laughs> Yay! So, um, Dracula comes in, swoops down, steals her, and Simon's like, dude. Such a big ripoff of Ghosts and Goblins. What a jerk. Or vice versa. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I like the Ghost or Goblins. Oh. Uh, wah, wah. Anyhow, so it's a pretty linear game. It's got six levels. The bosses are like, you know, Frankenstein's Monster and some of the other Hollywood. It's a remake um, of the first one. Yeah, essentially. Um, but the soundtrack was composed by Kenichi Matsuraba, who previously did the soundtrack to Castlevania II Simon's Quest just a couple years before. So the music, they took a lot of the original Castlevania melodies and the melodies from Castlevania 2 and kind of reworked them into some really, really, they took a lot of artistic liberty with them. They did. And so this particular track, which is called Don't Wait Till Night, is kind of based on the Heart of Fire melody from the original game, 
but it really kind of jazzes it up, and it almost sounds like like something like David Wise would put out. Yeah. It's got a very kind of rock jazz score to it. Um, Matsuraba wasn't really a jazz guy. A lot of his stuff didn't sound like this either, yeah, so no. it was very out of his element. Yeah, he really changed up the timing on this, and it really, really works. I will probably listen to this track a lot when I'm listening and editing this podcast, and I'll just go. I just picture you rocking it like four times, rocking back and forth, holding my paper mache. Simon yeah, Gallman, I'll, I'll you know what I'll I'll, uh, I'll grab my it. I'll grab my kids and I'll force their heads into the speakers so they yeah. appreciate this music yeah, yeah, as yeah. much as I do. You should. Yeah. Yes. You mean you don't already do that with every podcast? <sighs> I try to. Kids, listen. I try to. This was actually released on my oldest son's birthday. Really? Yeah. In North America, September twenty second. Wait, Haunted Castle was? Haunted Castle was. Oh, you mean the uh, well, the um, day of his birth. Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. the year of not his the birth. Year, that'd be... That would make him. That would have made me ten years old when he was born. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was ten years old and I gave birth that for the first time. Would have been weird as a as a guy giving birth at ten. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Not not as a as as a, <laughs> as a guy giving birth, but as a as a, as a new dad as at ten years dad, old. New dad. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Divergence aside, let's get on with the show. This is. Haunted Castle! Don't wait till night from Haunted Castle, the arcade game from Matsuraba.
It's time for everyone's favorite cooking show, Castlevanian Culinary, with your hosts, Oleg and Dante. Today on Castlevanian Culinary, we'll be diving into the dark hidden secrets of wall meat. Join your hosts, Oleg and Dante, on their latest quest to find out the best ways to preserve meat. Yeah, you know, Dante, Belmonts don't come around for decades, sometimes hundreds of years. You've got to keep these juices sealed in. Right, Oleg. In order for the Belmonts to unlock to savory meatness flavor, one has to use wooden stumps. It takes a while to carve, but man, will you be relieved when you get to paint them brown and red like the other red bricks. Now, what you need in all wall meats is horses. I think I know of the things you are talking about, Dante. Horse meat is delicious. No, 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 Oleg, my friend. I talk of the thing you turn horses into. You mean glue? <laughs> Anyways, the next ingredient in wall meat is laurels. Crush a few of these up and you're guaranteed to... Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold, hold on a minute. We're serving these guys meat with glue in it? Yeah! A helpful vat of glue gets baked into each section. They're usually too busy focusing on destroying Dracula to care about this tiny little detail. But, but Dante, this is the act of poisoning. It's no wonder Belmonts have such short lifespan. My family's been pumping glue into these wall meats for as long as I can remember. Belmonts may destroy Dracula every century. But we're the ones who always get revenge for him. Hail Dracula, Lord of Darkness! Um, Dante, are you vampire? Let's consult my cookbook on this one. Ah, looks like we'll be having fresh Oleg tonight! <laughs> Castlevanian Culinary, now cancelled on a food network near you. Boom! Castlevania 3. Oh yeah. One more notch in the Castlevania belts. Oh yeah, that completes the trilogy. So you guys may notice that sounds a little bit different from the traditional NES Castlevania 3. That was the Famicom version, which used the VRC6 Konami sound chip, which adds a few extra channels of sound to the soundtrack. So it's more of an enhanced version of the Aquarius song from Castlevania 3. Dracula's Curse. Yeah, all the Castlevania games on the NES got Famicom Disk System releases. Uh, the Castlevania 2 did not have as good of a soundtrack in Famicom Disk System. And because they took the save feature out, they actually were able to improve the music on the NES. So it's actually the reverse process in this case, because uh, Akumaju Densetsu, which is known in the US as Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse, the soundtrack was composed thanks to uh, Hidenori Maizawa, who actually did uh, work on the VRC6 sound chip that was only used in a very few games that came out on the Famicom. And so he was kind of the creator. He did help out with the sound as well. He's kind of listed as overall sound in the game. Yeah, I'm but, sure he helped out with the, with the composers as they worked with the chip going through the, the exactly. soundtrack. Yeah, and I mean, he's done work for Konami on other soundtracks, like he did the first Contra that he's known for. Um, he did uh, the, Ad <laughs> the Adventures of Bayou Billy, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first one, Top Gun, second mission, Super C on Nintendo, 
Uh, and then he did a bunch of arcade games like Sunset Riders and Zexex, Bells and Whistles, and Lethal Enforcers 3. And that's kind of where he tapped out, right around 2004. So he did, uh, you know, various different work for all these different games, like sound effects and music, but he was he's more of a, I guess you could say, an engineer than a composer. Right, in technical aspects of the sound. Yeah, and then his partner, Jun Funahashi, who worked on a bunch of games with him, actually, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Adventures of Bye Willy, Tiny Toon Adventures, Contra Force, for Nintendo, Ski or Die, uh, Batman Returns on the Super Nintendo, a bunch of Tiny Toons games, Spawn for the Game Boy Color, which I'll have to track that one down, Frogger Games, uh, Lost in Blue for the Nintendo three, uh, Nintendo DS, and Yeez 6, The Ark of Napishtim. Yeez! Wanderers from Yeez. We're talking about Castlevania, but we say Yeez. <laughs> I don't even know, man. <laughs> Just shut us off. <laughs> uh, there's a couple more people on that Castlevania yeah. 3 sound team. Yuke Morimoto, who worked uh, on Tiny Toon Adventures as well, um, also did a couple of the Gradius games. He was more of a sound designer and a sound editor, but he did work on the Poppin' Twin B Rainbow Bell Adventure game for, uh, I, I believe that was an arcade yeah, game. Yeah, it was an arcade game, yeah. Yeah, so that had a pretty good soundtrack. And then Yoshinori Sasaki also worked on that game as well, also did some uh, Ease 6. He was the chief director and producer of the game on that. So yeah, he started off doing sound, but then worked his way up to uh, production. So he did that. He did Lethal Enforcers as a programmer and an engineer. He worked on the Hyperstone Heist game as a programmer. Oh, snap. Yeah. Good game. So he's got some good games, both sound-wise and some you know, directing, engineering-wise. Yeah. One of the other games he did music for was he did sound design for The Lone Ranger on the NES, which had a fantastic soundtrack really? as well. Mm. I have to check yeah, that out. Yeah, so... So what was your first experience with Castlevania 3? Castlevania 3, I will be honest with you, I didn't play it until probably a good year ago. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, I just never got into it yeah very strange i mean i've owned the cart for all these years probably yeah. since i worked at, at gamestop years ago mm -hmm. but then i uh, i decided one day i was like i'm i've played the first two i may as well play the third one mm -hmm. so i remember it distinctly and it's mm -hmm. a pretty difficult game it's really hard especially it's... the clock tower jumping through those gears and stuff yeah and then learning the um the new guy's abilities like i really like grant the thief that you mm -hmm. can climb on the walls and stuff that was a really cool play mechanic for castlevania I don't really think much had been done with like wall climbing at that point on the no. NES up until then. Yeah, Castlevania 3 was unique in that in the first two you're playing as Simon Belmont and only Simon Belmont. And in the third one you're playing as Trevor Belmont. So you go throughout the game and the, the nice thing about this game, it took a lot of from like um, the, I think it was the MSX2 version of a Vampire Killer, which was also a game that came out basically a re-re-re-release of the first Castlevania game, but they, you know, they, they kind of tweak things over the years with Castlevania, do. which we'll get into a little bit later with Akamaju Dragula X68000, but getting back on point, the game Castlevania 3 has branching parts, so, and they've continued this throughout the series, actually, where if you go one way, you'll be able to check out a different part of the story and different levels and stuff. And it's really cool because it, it really increases the replay value Yeah, you can go back and do the other way the next time you play through. Mm -hmm. And so you could, there were three characters that you could unlock or three characters that you could also play as other than Trevor. You have the choice for them to join you right. or not, right? Yeah, you, yeah like you could right. go through the game and meet up with Saifa Belnades, who was, even though 
she was labeled as a he in the manual, is a female uh, sorceress, I guess you could say. And so Saifa, you, it's funny, in later games you actually find out uh, that Saifa and Trevor get married and have kids, and that's kind of, they continue the Belmont Aww, legacy. Oh, so yeah. sweet. Yeah. So um, you could be Saifa and basically you're, you're slower, but you have like a powerful magic attack. Or you could be Alucard, which is actually Dracula's son, and so he can turn to a bat and fly. Or you can be Grant, I always call them Grant Dynasty. <laughs> I think it's Dynasty or... I don't know. It's spelled D-A-N-A-S-T-Y. It's Dynasty. So Dynasty. It's Dynasty. Grant Dynasty. Grant Dynasty. So you can play as Grant Dynasty, the pirate, and basically you can pirate climb thief, on walls. Yeah. yeah, pirate thief. You can climb on walls and throw daggers and stuff. So it was really cool to have this like extra element of, of gameplay that you can kind of sift through. But man, I could not get that far in this game. Like I, I think... And I've beaten the first two. The second one especially multiple times. The first one I've beaten a couple times. The third one, I can't get past like level six, I would say. Uh, like when I get to that boat, forget it, man. It's rough. I tap out. It's rough. I mean, the enemies it's just really keep coming hard. at you from the sides of the screens and, and you know, mm -hmm. getting knocked back every single time you get hit, you end up falling in the pits. And it's mm -hmm. like, no matter how much energy you have, if you make the wrong step at the wrong time, you're done. So That pit. That pit. That pit. Spikes. Lava. Pit. Water. I don't know. These dudes can run around killing enemies left and right, but they can't swim one single stroke. Yeah, man. It sucks. Sad face. Stupid video game characters. <laughs> <laughs> so, that pretty much does it for Castlevania 3. I didn't really play it until high school. And I played it on emulators. So we're and both then, late adopters. Yeah, no, definitely. Hmm. I mean, like, Castlevania 1, 2, and then I skipped 3, and then, for whatever reason, and then I got Super Castlevania 4, which is which actually... Is our next game! Phenomenal! Castlevania 4 can... I would marry that game if it were a hot chick. Do you think your wife would mind? No. No? No. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah? No. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I don't know. It depends. Can you have a polygamous relationship with uh, your wife and video games? I do now. Time? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, but you're not married to them. I don't know, man. <laughs> Ask my wife, she might tell you something. Yeah, different. yeah. <laughs> so, Super Castlevania 4 was a, another re 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 remake of the first Castlevania game. Well, yeah, no, pretty much. It was the pretty much a remake. I mean, a lot of the music, I mean, all, pretty much all the music was completely redone. Yeah. And the soundtrack is one of the best video game soundtracks ever created. Absolutely. I mean, it takes Every sort, I mean, it takes everything that the previous games have done and just turns it flat on its back and it's like, you know what? No, we're gonna inject like all sorts of influences. Jazz fusion and just regular plain old jazz. Um, just Baroque. Like, yeah, the Baroque blues, era, I mean, blues, yeah. Oh man, it's fantastic. I mean, just the soundtrack. This is one of the first games where the soundtrack made the atmosphere even better because the soundtrack was so good. Castlevania 2 kind of started that, but I think Super Castlevania 4 nailed it. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Absolutely nailed it. And, and with the Super Nintendo, with the ability to load in different sound fonts mm -hmm. into the games, you could, you know, like we've talked about before, you, you could make the instruments sound real. Oh, yeah. And any any inkling that you might have had of, of Baroque or classical influences on, on the NES games, you were 100% certain of it in this game because mm -hmm. the harp sounded like real harps and like the flutes sounded like real flutes and oboes yeah. and just you know some some uh, amazing orchestral arrangements fantastic um so the song we're going to play from super castlevania 4 is called the submerged city 
And it's uh, it's pretty early in the game, like the third or fourth. It's like the fourth scene level, that you go yeah, yeah. And it's it's, really it's cool just track. this really cool kind of acid jazzy fusion track with like wandering flutes and and a really cool heavy bass line. This was definitely music that like your grandfather would listen to. You know? <laughs> well, hold on. I wouldn't say that. I would say that this was just. This was one of those soundtracks that got me into jazz and got me into like jazz fusion yeah, and that's from and, our grandparents' era, or at least mine. Yeah, maybe. I mean, my grandfather listened to it. Your so. grandfather listened to fusion though. Jazz. Yeah, jazz. Which yeah. is where this yeah. kind of came from. Yeah, true. I mean, you know, it was obviously a little more modern influence based on you know the fact that they were using Super Nintendo. You know, it was completely digital, but um, so I got this as a birthday gift in sixth grade. And it's one of the best games I've ever played. This is in my top ten. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I remember played. seeing the previews for this in Nintendo Power before oh, I got the pumped. Super Nintendo came out. Mm -hmm. I and mean, this was one of the games that they were heavily touting. And just I was looking at this game, man, and just the graphics and the gameplay explanations, everything screamed to me that I needed to get this game. Have you ever seen the video clips? of like the beta version of it. It basically like they threw together for, I think it must've been like E3 or whatever was before E3, like CES show or something like that. Mm. And they had this video up, you can check it out on YouTube. We'll post it on the Facebook page. And it's like what Super Castlevania 4 would have looked like. And they really changed a bunch of stuff, but it's just so funny because there's like this American announcer that's like, it's like walk through walls and then you'll face off against the Dracula, you know, the Dracula. yeah, yeah. Just like really <laughs> cheesy, like American, like that's awesome. ridiculousness. That's cool. But anyways, so who composed these? We are these listening to Masunori Adachi and Taro Kudo. So Masunori Adachi, there's not too, too much, um, on him is in in terms of like his his career mm -hmm. he did a lot of sound design a lot of sound treatment he composed the music to rocket knight adventures he worked on contra 3 the alien wars um his earliest title was russian attack so basically a yeah, lot of a lot of games. stuff he actually did a little bit for paper mario sticker star oh really yeah so he ended up doing a little bit of so nintendo a lot stuff of old school Composers that just shifted over to Nintendo, if we've noticed over the past couple episodes, I've, I've really noticed that. Yeah, I think that, that Nintendo tends to grab those people in. Because they're so talented. Yeah, and because, yeah. you know, Nintendo's probably got some money to throw at them, too, so they'll go, they'll go where they're going to get paid. What up, man. Masanori Adashi? Yo, I got the dollars. <laughs> and uh, Taro Kudo started the off yen. the yen, the dollars, uh, the yeah. bling, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Taro Kudo worked on Axley. That had a good soundtrack, didn't it? Actually, had a fantastic soundtrack. I never played it. It was yeah. really good shoot 'em up. He did some design work for Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, Mario RPG, along with Yoko Shimomura. Yep. And then he worked on UFO A Day in the Life, and again, Paper Mario Sticker Star. So I guess they grabbed a lot of Konami people for, for Sticker Star. Yeah. Interesting. He was co-director and scenario design for that game. So both of these guys worked a little bit in music at the beginning and then went on to do more game design, production, right. and engineering later yeah. on. Which, I mean, they had talent. Mm -hmm. I mean, for this for this soundtrack, Shows. they definitely threw 110% of their effort into it. So let's take a listen to The Submerged City from Super Castlevania 4 on the SNES.
welcome back to Pixel Tunes Radio. Totally groovy track. That was Akumajo Dracula X68000. Which was a fantastic title. It was a really good game. <laughs> it kind of, uh, if if they remake Super Castlevania 4 for the Genesis, mm-hmm. I think it would look very similar to I agree. this game. Yeah, no, I agree. So this track was Wicked Child. It was originally on the first Castlevania, but completely, I mean, this is totally jazzified. Oh. And, you can't listen to this without bobbing yeah, your head all down. Yeah. It's got such a fat beat. It's really good. Love it. Yeah, great song. I actually have the Sharp X68000 version of this, because I'm a huge Castlevania collector. So it just sucks, because I would love to play this game. Like, play... Oh, you have the actual x I have the actual... Disc? Discs in the full complete game. It was actually the most I've ever paid. I paid about $150 for it, which at the time, it, I don't even think it was worth that much. Mm. Now it is, but yeah. I, that was the most I've ever paid for any video game, ever. And so it was like one of those things where I just got into an eBay like war mm. with somebody. I was just like, I have to have this. And I got it, and then I got it home and was just like, what do we do with this? Put it on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> so I've opened it up a couple of times just to kind of show it off. It's really cool, really awesome packaging. I just wish I had a Sharp X68000 because there's a lot of really good games, as we were saying before. Phenomenal, phenomenal system. Really good system. A lot of really good ports. So this game was, I would say, probably the fourth or fifth time that they tried to remake the first Castlevania game, I would say. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I don't know about calling them remakes of the first game. I think the first game kind of led the groundwork for the path that mm-hmm. the character in Castlevania would follow. Outside the castle to inside the castle, through the library, yeah. up the tower, blah, blah, blah. But the games themselves, I mean, I consider a remake of a game to be essentially like like Super Mario All-Stars, where the game would be virtually identical, except the graphics and the sound might be updated a little bit. So okay. these games are different in the fact that the levels are definitely the layouts are not the same your abilities are not the same for the most part so i would say maybe a reboot might be a more accurate term or influenced by the first game but i I wouldn't call it a remake they all star simon though that's kind of my thing is uh, they retell the story yeah but it's a completely different it's a retelling of the same story over and over again yeah so i don't know but we're splitting hairs yeah i guess so I, i mean ultimately Pretty much every version of this game is fantastic, so you really can't go wrong with remaking a, a classic. Yeah. So yeah. They, and they definitely did a great job with it. There's a lot of really uh, different new things that you can pick up. Like there's a health pickup that's basically the green herb from Resident Evil, and you could use it over and over again depending on how many hearts you have, which is really cool. Yeah. And uh, there's just some really impressive bosses in this one that didn't make it into any of the other versions, even the Super Castlevania 4. Uh, version. Yeah, the X68000 had, you could get it with up to, I believe, a 12 megahertz processor, yeah. which was double the speed of the Genesis. Right. So, you know, I think the, the X68030 was up to a 20 megahertz processor. So that kind of explains why why these, you know, the bosses and some of the, the effects in this game were, were very cool. I read a little bit about um, an interview with the developer of this game, and I guess this game was coming out just around the time that the X68030 came out, which was one of the ones that was able to be upgraded to a, a, a 20 megahertz processor. And so they added a lot of effects in there, which would only be able to be viewed if you had the upgraded processor and there's sort of like particle effects for fountains the water and lightning yep, I was just and gonna say stuff that. that was really really cool looking 
so the release on Castlevania Chronicles, the PlayStation game, which had kind of a remake version of this game, as well as the graphics from the original version, you'd be looking at it as if you were playing it on the highest possible processing speed. Right, right. And that's how I ended up playing the game, is I knew of Castlevania Chronicles, picked that up for however much on eBay, and uh, that game is, you know, I mean, the arranged version is basically like, a, has an entirely new soundtrack all on its own, too. And that one's very jazz-inspired as well. Yeah, it's yeah, I, they, were, they were remake or arranged versions of the original yeah. Akamaju Dracula soundtrack. And I mean, we've played some of these tracks before. I think in, my, in the Mike's Picks episode, we played Thrashered in the Cave, which is yep. a freaking amazing song. Thrash Hard in the Thrash, Cave. Thrashered. <laughs> Thrashered. This was composed by Keizo Nakamura and Hiroshi Kobayashi. Um, we've talked a little bit about them in the past. Keizo Nakamura, not to be confused with Kozo Nakamura, who okay. was another Konami composer around the same time. Lots of people get them confused. Kozo worked on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games. Okay. Keizo worked on this game and also the Dracula X Rondo of Blood TurboGrafx CD Sweet. soundtrack, which was phenomenal as well. Great game. We will get to that in a future podcast. And then Hiroshi Kobayashi did... Also some stuff for Konami, um, the Busta Groove games, he worked on Contra Hardcore, he did some... <sighs> That's it. <laughs> Table flip on air. <laughs> he did work on sound design for Castlevania Chronicles, so he probably did the rearrangement for Makes sense. that game. Again, Rocket Knight Adventures and Contra 3 of the Alien Wars, so a lot of those Konami games that had multiple composers on them, Kobayashi worked on as well. Yeah, it was kind of the golden era for... Yeah, Konami. tons and tons of great stuff. Really speaking good. of Golden Era, speaking of composers that are synonymous with Castlevania, we're moving on to Castlevania Bloodlines, which was composed solely by Mishiro Yamane. Who did most of the work with most Castlevania games. Going also forward to, from here, yeah, yeah. She was... I also wanted to point out that you broke all the Rondo of Blood fanboys' hearts by saying that we weren't playing a track from Rondo of Blood. We'll get to it eventually. <laughs> you know, I think we should do kind of a Dracula X yeah. Rondo of Blood block yeah. in a future Castlevania episode. Because the soundtracks are so similar. Phenomenal. Yeah, good stuff. So Mishiro Yamane started in uh, with Nemesis 3. That was her first game with Konami. And uh, moved on to doing a bunch of various different games throughout the late 80s. Uh, ended up Working on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Fall of Foot Clan, that's what we would know her to do as uh, Love that a nemesis. And, yeah, and then uh, SD Snatcher with a bunch of people yep. from Konami. Later went on to do uh, Detana Twin B and a little game called Vendetta, which is an arcade side scroller. Beat em up, which looks really cool. Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa, which is another arcade game, very similar Sunset Riders type game. Uh, Rocket Knight Adventures, and then eventually went to Castlevania, and also did Contra Hard Corps uh, right before, uh, right during the same year of '94. Did Castlevania Bloodlines and Sparkster, and Sparkster Rocket Knight Adventures yeah. too. We're seeing a lot of repetitions of the same games, yeah, the same titles here. A lot of the same people. Uh, eventually went on to do, of course, Symphony of the Night, which we'll talk about uh, in a little bit, and a bunch of other Castlevania games, some DDR stuff. You know, most of the stuff that she did later on was with Castlevania, so she ended up leaving Konami in 2008, but still freelances to this day. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, Bloodlines was a really fun game. I really enjoyed Bloodlines. I did a review of that, like, two years ago, and I uh, I loved it. I mean, I didn't grow up with a, with a Genesis. I grew up with Super Nintendo, so I only knew... I remember waiting on Dracula X to come out 
for the Super Nintendo, and I was pretty disappointed by it at first because I really wanted something to continue Super Castlevania right, for. Right, yeah. I was and the same thing. I was just totally bummed this when they went like back backwards to, step. Yeah, they went backwards. I mean, they had the backwards flip, but I, I didn't I also, want them to go backwards in terms of control. Yeah, I didn't realize that it was a remake of, of Rondo of Blood when I first played it. Oh, really? It. So that was, a, you know, an older, an older title from the PC Engine era. Yeah, I mean, none of us knew about Rondo of Blood until we, you know, got the internet, basically. I still don't know what a Rondo is. Uh, Rondo is uh, actually Romanji for, like, it's basically, like, you'll you'll see it all the time with, like, anime where it'll be, like, uh, you know, something no Rondo or whatever. Uh, so the English word Rondo is also the loan word from Italian further originated in French, but in, ja in Japanese, it hints at various events during the cycles of life and often it's used in uh, like books and songs and things like that. But yeah, it's basically like... Like a cycle? Uh, yeah, well I mean, the Castlevania franchise got um, very musical with their song, with their yeah. game names, like Harmony of Dissonance and all that stuff. Um, so this was an originally Italian word meaning musical form with a recurring leading theme. Okay. So that's basically... So like a round, basically, is kind of like yeah. what we would... It, it's I basically, guess. it's it's like music. So it's a it's music musical of, repetition of blood. Music of blood. Bloody music. Bloody music. Bloody like tears. Bloody tears, yeah. But Bloody tears was, yeah. See? You learn something new every day, boys and girls. Do, 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 do. Put a gold star on the refrigerator you know, for your little a, a lesson today. Bloody star, because it's a Castlevania episode, so you gotta make it all about blood. Well, bloody star. Yeah. Blood Just blood don't get any on your fridge. Bloody and... Because I don't want to be held responsible for messes in your kitchen. Evil and Dracula and vampires. And it's October. Yeah. I love Halloween. Me too. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So Castlevania. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a song. is called Iron Blue Intention. You guys check it out. It's an amazing track.
Hi, I'm Eric Lacard, and I'd like to tell you a little story. There was a time in my life when I was homeless and poor. I barely had enough food to make it through the day. I decided it was time to get off my duff and do something about it. I decided to live the Belmont way. Yes, indeed, the Belmont way. It's a new way of life designed to create success in everything that you do. That's right, announcer man. Using my simple 12-book program, you can learn how to find money by attacking candles. You'll find full turkey dinners hidden within crumbling walls, and you'll learn how to leap backwards seven feet anytime anything causes you harm. The Belmont Way was created for vampire hunters, but I'm revealing their secrets to you. The Belmont Way does not guarantee results. We're not responsible for drawing the attention of werewolves, medusa heads, or infinitely spawning bats. Please thoroughly cook all wall meats before consuming to reduce the risk of illness. Do you really need to say all that stuff? Yeah, it's a legal thing. <sighs> Fine. Order your books now, and we'll throw in a free clove of garlic to ward off the vampires that are sure to take notice of you. Act now. No CODs. I'm so glad that you picked that song. Isn't that great? It's such a good song. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Actually, this is the song that convinced me to buy the soundtrack. So the song was called The Tragic Prince, or Tragic Prince, and this is from Symphony of the Night, one of the best Castlevania games ever made. Yep. Really took up the whole Metroidvania thing. The game itself was produced by the, at that time, game runner, I guess you could say. It's like the showrunner, you know, like a TV show. Shigeru Miyamoto? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Koji Igarashi, who, I don't know, I really respect him because he kind of took up the series and and, and kind of was like... He expanded I, the universe quite a bit. He expanded the universe, but he also kind of like was like, you know, I'm going to take this. This is my baby. Like, I'm going to work on this. And so he pump, pumped out tons and tons of games over the years and really kind of kept the series going when it was at its darkest point. I mean, Castle. this game came out and then the 64 games came out. And it was kind of like right at that time people were like, what's going to happen to Castlevania? Yeah, more like Castlevania. Hey, I, you know what? I liked the 64 games. I did. I never played Legacy of Darkness until like years you later. You have these rose-tinted glasses on for the N64 that I just, I never wore them. I, I don't Sorry. know. I don't know. No, I actually, because I, I did grow up with the N64, but I was in high school. Yeah. So like, there are there is some stuff that I go back now and I'm just, oh my god, it's so painful to play. Like, when we played WWF Attitude last week at my house. It's just, there's stuff like that that's on the N64 that's just so painful to play. But... If you can get around the difficult controls of Castlevania 64, like the slippery, like weird platforming controls of it, it's a really good game. It's a lot of fun, and it's the first Castlevania game that you actually fight other vampires other than Dracula, which hmm. is really cool. So I, I do have a respect for that game because it did try something different and it stayed in the lore of the games. And even though Igarashi kind of went back and was like, ah, I'm gonna nix this from the timeline, along with other games like Castlevania Legends, they took out the whole like romance between Alucard and Sonya Belmont as being the first like Belmont female, or really just first Belmont in general. Getting back to Symphony of the Night, this track was of course composed by Mishiro Yamane and was arranged by Akira Yamaoka, who you know very well. Yeah, well, uh, obviously... You're, like, best friends with him. Yeah, Yamaoka, <laughs> obviously responsible for the Silent Hill series, was his, you know, claim to fame, and worked a lot with Suda51 and Grasshopper Manufacturer going forward. But we've talked so much about him, it's not... Oh, yeah. You know, and we, we've obviously talked about Yamane as well. But the game itself, I mean, this was just a huge map. Yeah. Basically, the entire... 
every single room of Castle Dracula. If you wanted to explore it, you know, this was your opportunity to really get in there and yeah. dig deep and find out exactly where everything was. I remember they, in the manual, kind of built in a little disclaimer that every time Castle Dracula resurrects every century or whatever, it reconfigures itself. So when you go through in future games, you know, everything is obviously different. But, you know, this this was a great game. It had some really cheesy voice acting, which I, I always appreciate. Cheesy what do voice you acting. hear? What do I hear? What, what do you What hear? is a man? <laughs> Nothing you know, but I, a miserable pile of secrets. I love, I love the ridiculous voice acting. I mean, Castlevania's always been about cheese factors, and I just love it. But at the same time, one of my favorite vocal tracks of it is uh, What Do You Hear? When you confront Maria Renard. Oh, yeah, in the clock and, tower. In the yeah. clock tower, yeah. And she's just like, wait a minute. You seem human, but you're not human. And then she's like, what do you hear? <laughs> so, like, occasionally I'll catch myself just like, what do you hear? To some <laughs> random person. I'm like, excuse me? Excuse me? What do I hear? What year are you in? <laughs> so, in this game, you're playing as Alucard again. Uh, except he's changed. He's got gray hair. And he's not older. He doesn't look older. I mean, they went with, when the Castlevania 3 came out, they, they created Alucard to basically look like the classic Dracula that you would see in like the Christopher Lee films. Yeah, where, like, you know, it wouldn't be a very sympathetic hero though for... The hokey, silly Dracula that yeah. we all know and love. The Bela Lugosi Dracula. Exactly. And so Alucard was much more refined in this game. He had long hair, he had a deep voice, he was, mas he was like masculine and feminine at the same time. It was like, I mean, that was a lot of the heroes in Castlevania. It's a romantic male hero, basically. Yeah. And so the art style was done by Ayami Kojima, and she actually did a lot of really, really fantastic illustrations for Castlevania and kind of crafted these characters in future games in the series. So up until I think maybe like Dawn of Sorrow, which they went in an anime direction and Everyone yeah, like, I think she actually she redid the sprite for Simon in the Akamajo and the, she did. the Castlevania Chronicles. Yes, in game. Castlevania Chronicles, yeah, yeah. So, just really fantastic art style and illustrations. Actually, there was a Saturn port of this game that has an unlockable dungeon, and you can also play as Maria in the game, and the dungeon's not found in any other version, even right. the... It's like smack dab in the middle yeah, of the castle. Yeah, even the uh, re-releases of this game online, like the Xbox 360 indie, or whatever, the arcade games, they didn't include that. So, and part of that was because the Saturn version was so broken, I mean, there was just so many problems with it, uh, and some of the 3D effects that the PlayStation version had, that is the quintessential version, and that is honestly what sold the PlayStation to me. Yeah. And I've commented on this before, if you throw a Castlevania game on a fran on a console, I'm going to get the console. That's it. <laughs> Unless that, it's Lords of Shadow. Except Lords of Shadow, <laughs> which I, I'm not even going to get into Lords of Shadow, because that ain't Castlevania. But anyways, uh, so then... We're kind of skipping around a bit. I mean, we didn't really touch on the mobile games really that much. Uh, you well, know, we like said at the beginning of the podcast that we're not going to do mobile Yeah, we're not really going to talk about that too much. Uh, there was, at some point, I think during the NES era, there was like Kid Dracula, which... Uh, was... I could Dracula Coon. Yeah. 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 Which was an NES game that was... Like a chibi version of Dracula. Yeah. And you would play as him, and it was very cutesy and everything. So um, we'll play something from that in the future. Because that had a lot of reworked versions of Castlevania too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so then the game, uh, Castlevania 64 came out, uh, and then Legacy of Darkness came out, uh, which was basically like a director's cut of Castlevania 64, 
And then after that, they wanted to create a 3D game that was actually a solid ex experience, a solid franchise ex entry. And so they, they released a Lament of Innocence, which was a great game. It did kind of reboot the series in a way because they kind of like introduced some lore where uh, you play as Leon Belmont. He was the, they said that he was the first Belmont. So there was like a lot of stuff in the franchise that they tried to introduce during this era. And the problem that they had was if you're going to say Dracula resurrects himself every hundred years, and then you start being like, well, every 50 years or every seven years or whatever, yeah. then you know, you, you've got these people, these, uh, these evil people who are like resurrecting Dracula and- Before so, his time. Right, before he's supposed to resurrect himself every hundred years. So it kind of defeats the purpose of, of this time jumping. So they kind of ran into a lot of barriers right around Castlevania 64. So they kind of went way, way back and they were like, let's start at the beginning. After Lament of Innocence was Curse of Darkness, which was actually a direct sequel to Curse, uh, Dracula's Curse, the third game. And so we're gonna play a track from that. This was my pick, Legendary Belmondo which Simon's original name when they were creating the character was originally Simon Belmondo. And so it got translated to Simon Belmont, and so that's why they're called the Belmont family. Belmondo. Belmondo. Simon the Belmondo! Well, I guess in Italian you could translate that to beautiful world. Yeah. Italian or Latin. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Did not know that. Mm -hmm. I learned something new today. Yeah, you did. Put a bloody star in my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, Michelle Yamane also worked on this one along with Yuka Watanabe. Now, Yuka Watanabe, there are actually two video game composers named Yuka Watanabe. Well, the odds of that. Yeah, well, there's Keizo and Kozo Nakamura, who True. both worked for Konami. The Yuka Watanabe that we're talking about, her only credits are for Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow for the DS and this game. The other Watanabe is credited for a whole bunch of Neo Geo games. Mm. She worked for Alpha Dench, ADK, and SNK. So they, she did like Ninja Commando, World Heroes, and all that stuff. So different artist, different composer. If you look the name up on IMDb, it credits both the both. SNK games yeah. and the Konami games under one listing. Don't believe everything you see on the internet, boys and girls. That's, that's not true. So I like how you said that in your best like creepy voice. That's like my, voice. My, my rough McGruff voice. <laughs> Only you can prevent. Castlevania. Castlevania fires. Mix I don't know. Ups. I don't know. It's Smokey the Bear. Yeah, oh yeah. Now I'm getting my protection memes. Oh no, <laughs> McGruff was the guy that would... He was like the neighborhood watchdog, right? Yeah. 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 You're totally isolating our European listeners, I think. I don't know. Who cares? They had like, was he the, the badger nozzle? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the Pixel Tunes radio mascot. No, was he the, the badger nozzle? <laughs> God. Listen to this track. Oh. It's legendary Belmond Bel <laughs> It's legendary Belmundo from Castlevania Curse of Darkness. Awesome song. Love this track. Enjoy.
All right, welcome back to Pixel Tunes Radio. That was our last track of the day. Castlevania Judgment was the game. This was a Wii exclusive title. And the song is called Darkness of Fear. Now that's a looped version of the song that's actually from the OST that they ended up looping the track together. It is the intro track that you hear when you first kind of boot up the game that plays in the background while you watch this awesome like cutscene of all the characters fighting. This is a fighting game that came out back Quite then. a departure from the original Huge concept of the game. Yep. So there's actually a review that I did on this uh, that you guys are going to see uh, next week on Dude, You Haven't Played This Game. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, it's kind of a follow-up to the Sim Simon's Quest episode that uh, you should have seen by now. If you haven't and you're not a fan, check it out on youtube.com forward slash dongled, which is where you can also watch all the Pixel Tunes radio episodes. So this track was actually composed by Yasushi Asada. And uh, this gentleman has contributed songs to not that much Super Monkey Ball, Banana Blitz, IGPX Immortal Grand Prix, and of course Castlevania Judgment and Bakugan Battle Brawlers. And really hasn't done much since. He's a member of Noisy Croak, <laughs> a Tokyo-based sound design company that focuses primarily on game soundtrack releases, which is really cool. And he has actually a background in hard rock and heavy metal in his performances. And that kind of shows in this track. I really like this song. I know you're not really like, eh, you're not really on board because it's like symphony based, right? There isn't enough techno. Okay. I don't know. I like a little bit of electronics in my metal, so. Which is, is strange because okay. Castlevania is so, I mean, it does have its dancey moments, don't get me wrong, but most of the tracks sound like this. Yeah, but if it's purely electronic, I'm yeah. cool with it. True. Like I've said before, I like like chip rock. Okay. But I don't like rock rock. <laughs> <laughs> rock rock. Yeah. So, you know, stuff. Okay. And things. And things. And cheese. Right. And bloody stars. Fried things with cheese. Fried things with cheese. So, yeah, Castlevania Judgment was definitely, it, it, it had its mixed feelings from a lot of fans. Some of the fan base loved it. I was one of them. I really enjoyed the game. I picked it up day one at launch. I was super, super excited for it. And I, I kind of, I feel like looking back on it now, especially after do doing a review, I am kind of like, I was definitely overhyping the game quite a bit. Mm. And when I actually sat down and played it, I was like, all right, this is okay. Yeah. Like, but I like it. I'm going to have to fun. check it out because yeah. I really, this was one of the games that passed me by. Yeah. I think after Castlevania 64, I got really soured on Oh, game, did you? Especially when they were 3D. Okay. Um... Which is one of the reasons why I never really played Curse of Darkness. I was like, uh, another Castlevania 3D game. You know, the review, the initial reviews that I read on the game weren't that positive. So I was like, I'm not going to spend my money yeah. and my time, you know, playing this game. So after that, I kind of got out of Castlevania a bit. And then I got back into it on the DS. Yeah. So I started playing those games, and those were really good. Yeah. So when Castlevania Judgment came out, I was like, so you're just not a 3D fan. Not a, not a 3D Castlevania right. fan. Right. You know, when done right, like, I enjoyed um, Lord to Shadow a lot more than you did. Boo! Obviously. You know. Woo! Whatever, man. We all have our own tastes. Uh, just because I'm a big God yeah. of War fan. Yeah, yeah. So I just took it as a God of War-style game set in the Castlevania universe and didn't look at it as a replacement for a potential Castlevania game that could have been a traditional castle. You know right, what I mean? Right. So I really enjoyed it. It had Patrick Stewart as a narrator, so you know he's one of my favorite actors, and so I, I just kind of went through parts. it. 
yeah, but whatever, man. The second one wasn't that great, so I agree with you on that. But I just hope that as, you know, the series moves forward, that they do kind of bring back a little of that classic Castlevania feel. I think that's the biggest thing that I had a problem with. I mean, yeah. I've argued about this. I, I, I've gotten into a forum fights about this, and I don't fight about this kind of stuff often online, just because it's, it's childish. It's, you know, people fighting about fictional game characters in the universe where it's like, yeah, whatever. But the, I, I think what really soured me on Lords of Shadow is the music on its own, if you pull it away from Castlevania, because I'm such a huge fan of the Castlevania music, is good. Don't get me wrong. And I played through Lords of Shadow. I was really skeptical and I read reviews and I actually pre-ordered it and I picked it up and I was just, man, I was just like so, I had to struggle to beat that game because <laughs> I put it down like three or four times and was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't convince myself that this is a Castlevania game. There were little moments where they had little sound cues, like the, story box thing, the music box level. That was kind of cool. Uh, the platforming was kind of different and interesting. It was kind of hard to see at points. Yeah. But uh, overall, I just was really soured on the experience of Lords of Shadow. I think it's a great game on its own. I think it doesn't belong in the Castlevania universe. And I think that if you're going to revamp the series, at least keep the original timeline or at least like kind of keep it in the original world. And this felt like such a huge departure, especially musically. Yeah. There was not at all, like, whatsoever, other than I think the intro music, when the logos are loading up, any kind of organs, uh, any kind of, like, inspiration from Baroque-era music, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I really didn't even concentrate on the music at all no? for this game. It had been so long since I was really into Castlevania when I started playing this game that I wasn't... I didn't go into it expecting a classic experience. Okay. I just kind of went into it knowing that it was, like I said, more of a God of War-style game, and I had played Dante's Inferno, which was kind of in the same vein. Like, when God of War got really popular, a lot of games like this started coming out, kind of emulating that same feel and trying to build success on that. So I just kind of played it as a different take on, like, that, that God of War fighting style that I enjoyed. Yeah. So I, I didn't... I think that may be why you enjoyed it, and I did Right, exactly. Because I was looking for going. a different experience than I kept I going with the series. Yeah. And, like, after 64, I picked up every single Castlevania game that had ever come out. I picked up Lament of Innocence. That was one of the reasons why I got a PS2, that, and Contra Shattered Soldier. Picked up Curse of Darkness, day one. Picked up Judgment, day one. All the um, handheld games I picked up, day one, except for... I didn't get into the Dawn series, Dawn of Sorrow, and... And area of sorrow. I don't know what it is about those games. Maybe it's just because it takes place in the future. I don't hate them or anything like mm -hmm. that, but that's for another day, of course, when we talk about the handheld games, which, like we said before, we could do like a million Castlevania uh, games. But um, ultimately, I, I, I continued with the series and I kind of felt like Judgment was like the crescendo of the series and it just it, it, it really soured a lot of fans on on the experience and i think that the core franchise fans were there but they were kind of like yeah this is good like trying to convince themselves that it was really amazing yeah. we're also kind of forgetting about castlevania rebirth too true yeah which that was a, was a decent a throwback fantastic to throwback yeah castlevania the adventure rebirth was like a reimagining of the castlevania the adventure portable game for the game boy the very first game boy game that came out for the series Really changed up a lot of stuff. Had that branching path thing that Castlevania III Dracula's Curse did, which was really cool. Um, so that was a great game. It was. And that was kind of the last hurrah. 
I mean, they got, Japan got a pachinko machine. Oh, yeah, Pachislaw Dracula. Yeah. There's a yeah. couple of them out there. And the soundtracks for that is really good, too. Yep. And Castlevania, the arcade, which would have been amazing on the Wii. It's kind of one of the things they pointed out in my review. Kind of like an enhanced, an enhanced version of yeah. the first game. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would have totally been down for whipping up Dracula and baddies and stuff like that if it was, you know, on the Wii like that, so... Maybe someone will port it, like an unofficial port. That'd be like cool. a homebrew. That'd be sweet. Or an emulator. I mean, you can probably emulate it on the Oh, on yeah. Wii. That'd be a good idea. I should look into that. Maybe like hack a Wii with all my not really well-known <laughs> knowledge. Yeah, I can help you out with that. Yeah. Anyways, so thanks for listening to our Castlevania episode. Like I said, this will be one of probably many Castlevania episodes that we oh, will absolutely. do going forward. Check us out in one week for our second Halloween special. But how many episodes does that make? That's going to be three three episodes in one month. Three episodes in one month. Man, you guys are getting treats. So we're going to do horror games next episode. Yeah. Maybe not horror games. Maybe spooky. Spooky. Horror songs. Spooky songs from games. Because I've got a couple in mind that aren't necessarily from horror games, but they're from horror-themed levels within games. So we'll (laughs) check it out. Do you know how to make... Spooky, not scary. You take the S out, and then it's just pooky. That was ooky. <laughs> that was dookie is what it was, man. No more jokes from you. Um, I'm writing all the commercials from now on. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun doing this episode. I mean, Castlevania is just one of my favorite series of all time, if not my definite favorite series. So it's it's just awesome and so i'm glad that we could kind of share some of our favorite console tracks with you and maybe like one or two arcade tracks stay tuned for the halloween episode coming in in one week and check us out on the usual social media facebook.com forward slash pixel tunes radio twitter.com and our handle is at pixel tunes radio where else can you listen to us? Also, please check us out on iTunes. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. That'd be sweet. We've only got, like, I think 9, 10 ratings right now, and we've been going at this for almost a year, so we would really appreciate some more visibility. Don't be ooky. Be pooky. Dude, <laughs> you're off the show. <laughs> See you in one week, kiddos. Peace. <laughs>